welcome you to our podcast. We hope that you get to know God more, that you feel encouraged, and that you see how God's moving in your life from a brand new perspective. Enjoy today's message. We live here changed. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right. Well, good evening, Bedrock. How's everyone doing? Hanging in there okay? All right, good, good. Well, my name is Blake. I'm one of the pastors here at Bedrock, and I'm excited to be back with you today. And we're kind of in this in-between series where we're going right into the chosen after having come out of the book of Psalms. And so uh, Pastor Tommy preached last week, and then this week I thought, man, what what, what does the Lord want me to talk about? And I think when we get into the fall, I always think about new beginnings, right? Like today's the first day of college football. Like everything's starting to kind of ramp back up, right? I'm going to have to preach quick tonight because the Gators start at 730. I'm just kidding. I'm not. I'm going to keep you here extra long. Uh, and so I thought about, man, what better way to talk about the fall and what's going to be happening uh, than to talk about vision and, and where we're headed. But, you know, sometimes churches, and we all do this, we talk about big vision and all these things that we want to see happening and, and where we want to go. But I think sometimes what's more important than just like where we're going to be is who we are. And so tonight what I thought I would do is kind of talk to you about who we are as a church. And as I was thinking about this, there's this show that kind of came up, and I got the title for the message, but then I was like, oh, yeah, there's that show. Uh, there's, the title of the message tonight is This Is Us. And if you know the show, I don't watch it because it's too emotional. It's like every episode something's going on, right? Like it's real serious. I'm like, I need a break after about 20 minutes. And so, but what, I, what I've gathered from the shows is about the siblings and their family and their dad. And, and kind of what happens is, is it goes back in time and you see kind of flashbacks of the family uh, and then how that's kind of affecting their current life. And, and I thought about that and I thought, what if we could all do that? What if we could go back in time and kind of look at these events that developed our life and how much they affected us in the present? And so instead of just saying like, oh, we're going to go get this building or, oh, we're going to go do that or we want to see this many people get saved or this many people in the whatever, those are incredible things, but those things will happen if we stay true to who God has called us to be. And so as you think about this message and you hear about this, it's going to be about who Bedrock is, but also I believe that there's going to kind of be these, I'm going to call them 12 axioms to live by. You can just open it. Don't worry. Just go for it. Uh, But there's these 12 axioms to live by, kind of these sayings or phrases or, or ideas that guide our life. Because I will tell you this, church, who you want to be in the future, you have to start being today. You will not become who you feel God has called you to be if you do not start being that person now, right? How many of us can testify to that in our life? How many of us dreamed about where we would be when we're at whatever age you are now? I love those sayings online. I was today years old when I found out, right? I I love those things, but who do you want to be? And I really believe that the axioms or these sayings that we want to live by at Bedrock can affect your life and where you want to be. I really believe this. So tonight we're going to be all over the Bible because at Bedrock we believe in the Bible. We believe that it is the Word of God, and that's our guide and our standard, and we will hold true to that. We believe that the Bible is God's truth. And so that's where we find our identity as a church and, and who we're going to be. 
And so if you want to know where we're going, then you need to know who we are. And so I want to just tell you the very first axiom or thing that we are going to be as a church is we are always going to choose God first. In every single thing that we do as a people, we will choose God first. And this means saying no to a lot of different things. This means saying no to things of this world or the way we might do things and the way that we might go about this. And this comes from Matthew chapter 6, verse 33. Jesus makes it very simple in the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus is talking to people, and he says this in verse 33 of chapter 6, but seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. I think what happens to so many of us is we begin to look at all of the things that the world says that we need to do in order to be successful in where we want to be. And a lot of times what we'll do is for a season of our life, we'll say no to the things of God, but we'll get back to them later. Anybody ever been there? Hey God, I'm just going to take a break for a little bit, just for a little while. I'm going to say no to you, I, I won't admit that, but I'm going to say yes to the world. I'm going to say yes to doing it this way. I'm going to say yes to making it happen according to this wisdom. But I promise you, God, I will get back to you. I heard this a lot in seminary. I heard a lot of people say, man, one day I'm going to pastor a church, but first I need to go into business and I need to make all this money. So that when I go into ministry, I won't need anything. I'll, I'll be completely okay. All my needs will be met. Do you know how many of those guys are in ministry now? Zero. Zero percent. And here's what I've always found. When you put God first, God works out the rest. I firmly and truly believe that. Why? Because I've put it to the test. There have been times as a family and as a church, we have said yes to the things of God when it did not make sense and God fully provided. In fact, we planted this church backwards. And here's what I know. This is why we choose God first. Because God's worst is better than the world's best. God's worst is better than the world's best. And so what we're choosing is what is best. And so as a church, what is seeking God first? We'll always choose God first look like. I'll just tell you this. We will pray and seek the Spirit through the Word always before we do anything. I can promise you that. And for you and I as people, this is where we have to start. This is the starting point of our life. Let me ask you, when a big decision comes forward in your life, what's your first response? Is it to go to the Word? Is it to begin to pray? Is it to seek the Spirit? Or is it to run to everything else that you need to do to make this happen for yourself? And so many of us go, man, I don't see any miracles in my life because you've been too busy working your way out of them. And so at this church, we want to see miracles. We believe in miracles. We believe that God can do it. And so at this church, we are going to choose God first. So where is God calling you to put him first right now? There's just probably some part of your life. Is it with your finances? Is it with your relationships? Is it with your job? Is it with the people that you are with? Is it the school that you're going to or your major? Maybe you need to put God first in your healing. 
Maybe you need to do things God's way, and maybe you'll move through some of those mental hurdles when you put God first. So many of us feel like, God, I'm going to get this, my mental mess in place, and then I'll come to you. And God says, it's not going to be put in place unless I'm helping you in the process. And so right now, you have a choice. Right now in your life, you have the choice to choose God first. And I promise you that when you do that, things will be in the right priority. So not only will they work out, they will work out properly. And so we, we move on here, and, and we, after we choose God first, I want to tell you who we're going to be as a church. We will do everything short of sin to reach people. We're not going to sin to do it, but we're going to do everything we can to reach people. And here's why. I got saved in my early 20s. I became a Christian in my early 20s. I did not grow up in a Christian home. I didn't. I remember what it was like to be lost. I remember what it was like to live still over half of my life without God. Without knowing him, without seeing him, without experiencing him. And I know what that produced in my life. The times of my life I regret the most are the times that are absent from God. And so there's a huge passion in me to reach the lost. Now, if they don't come to bedrock, that's okay. I just want them to know Jesus, and I want them to go somewhere, and I want them to find community. And so there will be people that we reach as a church that don't attend here, and that's 100% okay. Because we're not about just growing a big church. That's not what this is about. It's about growing his church. So where people attend doesn't matter. We are going to be faithful to preach the message of Jesus Christ to the world. And we're going to do it creatively. We're going to do it in new ways. We're going to do it in ways that will speak to people where they are. So many times we're preaching the gospel and doing things in places where no one who's lost is. We're like, this is the way Christians like it. Great, that's awesome. We have to feed the sheep, but we have to go to where people are hurting. That's why we have online. Do you know that any person in the entire world can right now log in and hear what's happening in this place right now? Right now. We have people from Cuba. We have people from all over the world that listen in to this message. And some people say, oh man, church, that's, that's diluting the message. That's diluting this. No, that's taking the gospel to where people are. And people are online. So we're going there. And yes, we want to encourage you and invite you that watching this online is not like experiencing it in person. But we still want to reach people. I want you to realize and see that so many times the fuel behind this is choosing God first. And when we choose God first, we're going to choose what his mission is. Matthew 28, 18 and 19. Maybe some of you have this memorized. Then Jesus came to them and said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. This is called the Great Commission. And people say, oh, you can't do church when you're distant. You can't do church online. Well, that's funny because we read letters from distance in every book of this Bible. Every part of relationship that happens in the New Testament happens from distance. 
Why write a letter to a group of people that you're with? So it can happen, right? That's the ancient online, right? Like, the, I'm far from you, and so I'm going to write you a letter and teach you and instruct you. Wow, like, let's not get so confused about some of this stuff. Let's not be dogmatic where we don't need to be dogmatic. So yes, preference in person. Online, I'm glad you're here. So let me ask you a question. There's this staggering statistic that, that changed my life completely when I thought about this. See, church, I'm not going to ask you to reach 20,000 people this year. I'm going to ask you to reach 33 just, I just am going to ask you to reach 33 people in your lifetime. 33. Do you know why that is? There's a statistic about reaching the world that came out a few years ago that if, if the world started with zero Christians and you made one Christian, and that Christian reached one person in a year and discipled them to reach others, and then the next year they both reached one more. So the one became two, the two becomes four, the four becomes eight, and so on. And no one reaches more than one person a year. Did you know that counting population growth estimates, the entire world is reached for Jesus Christ, if that is the model? If every one of us reaches one person per year, one person. Church, who's the one that God's calling you to reach? Who's the one person? Not the 33 right now, not the 20,000. And everyone goes, well, look at Billy Graham and look at how incredible his life is and look at all the things. Millions of people were reached by Billy Graham. You know that there's someone in the world that reached more people than Billy Graham? The guy who reached Billy Graham. Right? Right? We don't have Billy Graham if we don't have that guy who's faithful to the mission. And so you know what? When they're in heaven, he's like, I got one on you, buddy. Every time, I got one on you. Right? And so think about this and think about the heritage that we can have as a people. And so I'm not going to ask us to reach 33 people next week. I'm going to ask you who's the one. Who's the one person you need to invite? Who's the one person you need to invest in? And so that leads me into this next idea. See, I didn't grow up in church, so I didn't grow up with a lot of this is how it's done, okay? I didn't grow up that way. And, but what I've noticed is, is as Christians, we become a little bit picky on the way things go. I like that song, this many hymns. I like it sung that fast. Those lights are too bright. There's a little bit too much smoke in here. That music's too loud. Oh, this is going on. It's kind of hot in there. That building isn't too nice. That building is too nice, right? Like, this is what happens. And so I'm just going to tell you who we are. We are always going to choose people over preference. Always. This is not a mission or a church about preferences. This is a church about reaching people. And so guess what, guys? If everything changes and everyone goes, you know what it is? It's hymns. Guess what we're singing? I hope you have your hymn book because we're singing them. It's people over preference. For too long, we have made our Christianity and our spirituality designer. We've made it designer. What it's kind of like what belt buckle or, or badge on your car or on your purse or on your bag do you want to have? 
And that's the way we've treated Christianity. When Jesus said, my vision and my goal is that the world will know that you are my disciples because of the way that you love one another. Not the way that you divide over every little thing like the color of the carpet. You're supposed to be looking towards heaven anyway. What are you doing looking at the carpet? <laughs> People be walking in church now like this. I'm not Pastor Blake. He knows. But think about that. Why would the world look at a group of people and go, all you do is complain about the color of the carpet. I really want to be part of that. That looks super inviting and engaging. Guys, we're not going to play that game because it's always going to be people over preference. And church, this might be a word for us today in our current culture because let me just tell you something that's now splitting churches in Christianity. Vaccination. COVID. The enemy has used COVID-19 as the greatest splitting point in our current modern era. It, I'm telling you, there's maybe one other form of doctrine or ideology or idea that split the church currently more. Calvinism, Arminianism. That's it. Weak church. Let, listen to Romans chapter 14, verse 5 to 9. Let's just preach it for a second. This is a tangent, but I'm going there. Chapter 14, verse 5. One person considers one day more sacred than the other. Another considers every day alike. Each of them should be fully convinced in their own mind. Believe what you're going to believe. I might believe that you're wrong. And I'll tell you, I think you're wrong, but I love you. Be convinced. Whoever regards one day as special does so to the Lord. Whoever eats meat does so to the Lord, for they give thanks to God. And whoever abstains does so to the Lord and gives thanks to God. For none of us lives for ourselves alone. And none of us dies for ourselves alone. If we live, we live for the Lord. And if we die, we die for the Lord. So whether we live or die, we belong to the Lord. For this very reason, Christ died and returned to life so that he might be the Lord of both the dead and the living. Here's what Paul says. One God, one Lord. Difference of opinion doesn't matter. Love one another. Love one another. Do what you're going to do. We don't have to be into the place of our Christianity where we are calling people out for things that don't necessarily have to be true. If you get vaccinated, you're weak in faith. No. Could you give someone the benefit of the doubt and believe that they believe that God was in the process of the creation of that? Why do you have to assume the worst? Why? Oh, they're unvaccinated. They don't love anybody. They're the worst. They're awful. Well, what if they have a clotting issue? What if they have another issue? Maybe there's a part of their conscience that doesn't allow them to do this. Can you love them? The world is making us fight one another in a civil war over the healing and defeat of an enemy that's killing all of us. This is not a choice that we have to make. And as Christians, we need to be better. I'm sick of it. And we as a church will not be doing this. It is people over preference. If you're sick, don't come in here. That's it. 
That's just common courtesy. Listen, I don't like teaching little kids because they touch you with your hands and you get sick. I don't want to get sick anyway. You got the flu. You got like the, uh, anything. I don't want it. Okay? I'm like, get away from me. God loves you. Holy Spirit distance. But I'm not like you sick, evil person. Guys, we got to get better than this. It's hurting the gospel. It's hurting the message because the world looks at this and goes, what are they doing? We've got to be better than this. And whatever your choice is on this issue, I want to respect that. You have the right to have a choice, okay? We'll talk about it. If we disagree, we disagree. Can we love each other in disagreement? We're not disagreeing if Jesus is the son of God. This is not something that we have to war over each other with all of the time. Let us be wise. Let us love one another. Let us walk through this moment and love our neighbor as ourselves. And so, It's people over preference. And so let me just ask you, have you made your faith too designer? Is it just all of this is built on preference? Maybe some of us are missing out on the depth of worshiping God because we've made it so easy for ourselves to worship. Have you not thought that part of this is worshiping God in the hard times and the hard places? How do we as a people get to be like Paul, who's in a jail cell, underground, about to die, and he's worshiping Jesus, and the only thing he wants is his scrolls? There's no smoke machine. There's no lights. There's no music. There wasn't hymns. There was him in a cell, and he's raising his hands, and he's sending out letters, encouraging people to continue in the faith he's about to die for. How do you get there? Every pre- I don't think that that was Paul's preference. I don't think, you know what? I really enjoy Christianity alone, in the dark, in a cell that I can't stand up in, that there's no light in, and the food is awful. The prison that Paul was in is called Mamertine Prison. I've been there. I'm not that tall. I'm like 5'10", 5'11". I could not stand up tall in that prison. The prison is underground. It's four stories underground, and all there is is a hole in the ceiling and a hole in the floor. When you read 2 Timothy, that's the setting. How do we get there? Because it cannot be all about us, for if it is all about us, all we do is come in here and worship ourselves. It has to be about him. And when I look into the scriptures, I see so much of people who are able to worship the Lord in such peculiar circumstances. May we be that people. May we be those who can do this and 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 walk through these moments. And so it's people over preference. But here's what we believe about people at our church. Who people are is more important than what they can do. Talent will never tick you up higher on the important lists here. The amount that you give, I don't even know who gives how much. But it's not going to tick you up on the importance level here. We are brothers and sisters in Christ, serving God towards one mission of unifying this church to move forward in the mission that God's called us to. And so who people are is more important than what they do. 
Listen, church, we have to get this way in our belief. Let me ask you a question. Are you finding your worth in what you do or do not do for God? Or are you finding your worth in the fact that you are a son and daughter? You're a son and you're a daughter if you believe in Jesus Christ. And so you're infinitely worth, worthy to Jesus, right? I mean, I don't look at my kids and go, hey, Piper's nine, Jude's three. Piper, you can make your own breakfast and you can clothe yourself. Jude, sorry, bro. If you could do more, I'd love you more. And I don't go to Piper, oh, you could do all these things, I love you more. How many of us treat our relationship with God like that? How many of us treat each other like that? Me included. I am not like sitting on a throne at this church, ever. I'm one of us. My seat on the bus may be unique right now, but it doesn't put me in a position of privilege. I'm a normal person. We will never, ever value you more for what you can do for us. And here's what I promise you. If you leave and stop serving, I guarantee you you're going to get an edible arrangement and a thank you card telling you how thankful we, we are for how much you served our church. See, that's where churches get it wrong because we valued people for what they did for us instead of who they are, so when they leave, they're worthless to us. What a twisted way of looking at the family of God and how we are to do this. And so we're going to look at people for who they are, not what they do. And some of us in this room need to be freed from that performance-based Christianity. There's nothing that you can do that will make God love you less. There's nothing that you can do that will make God love you more. And so instead of doing this to earn things from God, walk in the full blessing that God fully loves you. See, the Bible says that it is his love that leads us to obedience. You don't need to perform for God. We don't want to be a performance-based church. See, because as a church, this value for people, this value for what God values, this value for who God is, this is who... I want to be personally, and I hope we are as a church, that we will give our best and then some. That we will give our best and then some. Colossians chapter 3, verses 23 to 24. Whatever you do, work, it, work at it with all of your heart as working for the Lord, not for human masters, since you know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward. It is the Lord Christ you are serving. Do everything with all that you got, with everything that you got, and may that be your good and pleasing worship to the Father. And so if you set a pipe and drape, give it all you got. If you're out there greeting, greet with all you've got. If you're up here preaching, preach with all you've got. If you're a parent, parent with all you've got. Give it your all. Give it everything. And then some. And you know what the and then some is? Is when the Spirit comes in and covers the gap. That's the and then some. So we're going to give it our all, and we're going to trust God with the rest. Here's a little Calvinist Arminian joke. We're going to live like an Arminian, like it all belongs and matters to us. We're going to sleep like a Calvinist, like it all belongs to God. And some. We're going to go. I want to be a church who gets after it. Why? 
because the hour is growing near and the days are growing dark. And I don't know about you, but when I was a kid and it got dark, I ran home faster. Guys, the hour is near. The days are dark. It's time to run faster. It's time to move quicker. It's time to go forward. But here's what I want to encourage somebody in here with, because I, as I was preparing this message, this is what I felt God say to me. Do not quit now. Do not quit now. Keep going. Keep doing the right thing. Do not grow tired and weary of doing what is right. Keep going and believe and trust that God is going to cover the gap and do immeasurably more than you could ever hope for or imagine. And so don't give up on loving your spouse right now. Don't stop. Give it all that you got. See, because the church is about all of us together, not just this building and this place. And you're the church, so don't stop loving your spouse. Even when it's hard, even when you don't see a way, even when restoration seems impossible, don't stop. Keep going. Love well. Don't give up on that kid. I don't know about you, but we had a crazy week with our kids this week. There are days, parents, if you're honest, you're like, I just want to quit. Don't give up. You're doing a good work. You're doing a godly work. You're raising up the next generation. You're pouring into his children. Don't stop. Don't quit. And I promise you, all that you have sown into them with the watering of the word and the Holy Spirit, with a church that surrounds your children. They may be far away now, but I believe in the power of God. I believe that things take time and I believe they'll come back. Don't stop now. What about that job and that employee or that person? Don't quit. What about that neighbor that you hate? It's always something about the fence or the trash cans or like how much noise you're making or you parked your car, blah, 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 blah. Don't stop loving them. Don't stop. Keep working that job to provide for your family. I know you hate it. I know it's awful. I know they treat you terribly, but God may have you there for the reason of showing what suffering Christians can look like and how we can have joy in the darkest moments of our life. Don't quit now. Don't stop because we're going to bring our best and then some. Don't stop blessing that enemy that's against you. Don't stop praying for their salvation. Don't stop praying for the good things in their life to turn their heart to the Lord. Don't stop praying for a miracle for them. Don't stop. I'm never going to cease stopping praying for the Taliban. I'm never going to stop. I'm never going to stop. I'm never going to stop praying for the people who hate Christianity and hate what we stand for. And the fact that we're in this room doing what we're doing makes them sick to their stomach. I'm never going to stop praying. I'm never going to stop asking God to invade their life in the most incredible way and that they would experience the living God so they could see what you and I are going through and what you and I get to experience every day of our life. And so church, we're going to bring our best and then some. We're going to bring our best and then some because the hour is dark. 
But let me tell you this. Here's what I can promise you. This isn't a perfect church, and we won't always get everything right. Maybe this chosen series is going to be a bust. Maybe small groups are going to be a bust. I don't think so, but maybe they will. But here's what I promise you. As a church, if we feel called to it by God, we will fail aggressively. We will fail aggressively. The kind of failure that when you fall knocks your teeth out, but at least you fell forward. You know how much easier it is to get up when you fall on your face than it is when you fall on your back? Fail forward. Fail aggressively. But we will not fail catastrophically. We will use wisdom and guidance in, in, in everything that God has for us, but we're not going to stop. We're not going to stop moving forward. Acts 21 is where this happens. Paul's writing, and they we're hearing about the history through Luke, and Paul is talking to them and says, hey, we tried to go north, and we were cut off. We tried to go this way, and we were cut off. We tried to go this way, and we were cut off. Every one of those ways they went, they failed, but they kept pushing forward, kept giving their best, kept moving forward. And so let me just ask you, where do you need to be willing to fail aggressively? Like big time. Not catastrophically. Not like, you know what? There's this new cryptocurrency. I'm going to remortgage my house and put all my savings into this coin. And so that, hey, I could be a billionaire. I could also be flat broke and homeless. That could be catastrophic. But we in wisdom are going to continue to move forward. We in wisdom are going to continue to move towards the things of God. And we're going to be willing to fail. I never want to be a church that didn't move forward in what we really felt God was going to do because we were scared of failing. And I also never want to go at it halfway so that if we fail, it hurts less. I want to go after it. And some of us in this room right now, you're, you're, you're afraid to take God up on his promises. You're afraid to fail aggressively because you're not sure if God's going to pull through. I will tell you this. God is not going to fail. Give it your all. Run after it with all that you have. And what you may see is that things go better a lot quicker. See, some of us haven't walked into the promises of God or the blessings of God because we're afraid of failure. Why do we get so afraid of finding the things that aren't correct so we could move towards the things that are? That's all failure is. If it's not catastrophic, it's a learning experience and you can move forward. When I was in college, I was finishing my seminary. Well, I was actually just at the beginning and I ended up working for the co-founder of the university that I attended. And I began to feel that God was possibly calling me into the medical field, not ministry. And so I asked my boss, I said, hey, is there any way that I could go back and try some of these classes, like, and get a scholarship to go back and do my undergrad for my, my pre-med stuff? So my boss was like, yeah, we'll give you a full-ride scholarship. So I'm in seminary and undergrad again, going back to medical stuff to figure it out. I didn't do so well, okay? Like, it wasn't my thing. But you know what the blessing is? I failed aggressively. And you know what happened when I failed aggressively? I was able to pull the plug quickly. See, some of us, because we've gone into things halfway, have been in things we shouldn't be in for far too long. Like, you know, it's not right, but you're kind of like this, walking in. And God said, just step in. This isn't right. You can step right out. You can pull the eject button really fast. Some of you are just creeping in things that you shouldn't be creeping in. It's not good. And so just be willing to fail aggressively. Aggressively. 
It will not be fatal and you can move forward. Is that a word for anybody in here? So we as a church, we want to be brilliant. We want to be a brilliant church. And here's what I mean. I hear this all the time. This isn't a cut on anyone, but I always hear we want to have a culture of excellence. Nah, I don't want just a culture of excellence. I want a culture of brilliance. Do you know that a diamond that shines brilliantly has to be cut excellently? See, the end game of what we do here is not so that we go, everyone goes, look at the excellence here. The purpose of why we do everything with purpose and with, with this, everything that we've got to follow after the mission of God is because when we do exactly what God has called us to do in an excellent way, we will shine exactly the way that God wants us to. Listen to this. Matthew chapter 5, verse, verses 14 to 16. You are a light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on a stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. See, when we do things brilliantly, we glorify the Father. When we do things with excellence and we give it all that we've got and we trust God with the rest, when we, we give and then some, all of a sudden, the world sees what God can do with the people who are fully sold out to him. Be brilliant. Don't just stop at excellence. You've got to shine for exactly what you were built for. Money. Let me just tell you about money here at Bedrock. Money won't make our decisions. Vision will. Money will not make our decisions at this church. Vision will. Is money part of it? Absolutely. But here's what we really believe. Where God gives a vision, provision will follow. 100%. Where there is vision, when God calls us to go, we believe that there will be provision. So if God calls us to go somewhere and do something, we're not going to say, well, we don't have the money, so that and that, X. We're going to believe real big that God's going to do something that we can't even imagine. Look at what the Bible says, Matthew chapter 6, verse 24. No one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. So we're going to choose vision over money. And this is what we're going to believe. Isaiah chapter 43, verse 16. This is what the Lord says. He who made a way through the sea, a path through the mighty waters. We're going to be a church who believes that when you get to the waters and you're about to go into the promised land, God's going to provide the way. God's going to do it. And so money's not going to make our decisions. Vision will. We'll be wise. We're going to do all that we can, but we're going to believe God can do it. Last few right here, and we're going to be done. See, at this church, we want to be a people who believe and see that because of Jesus, we get to do some really incredible things. Ephesians 2.10, for we are God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. Because of Jesus, you get to do whatever you're doing. Because of Jesus, you get to put a pipe and drink. Because of Jesus, you get to greet in the house of God. Because of Jesus, you get to play music in the house of God. Because of Jesus, you get to be here. Because of Jesus, you get to be a mom or a dad. Because of Jesus, and I will tell you that that is a heart of gratitude and when you have a heart of gratitude, you can face almost anything in this world. You can face anything. Right? This is what Paul says in Philippians chapter 4. 
Give thanks in all things because of Jesus. And with prayer and supplication, let the peace of God which surpasses all understanding enter your heart. Gratitude is what unlocks the peace. But because of Jesus, we get to do all of these things, so that means that there's nothing too small. No one too small, new thing too small. Luke 16.10, whoever can be trusted with very little can also be trusted with much. And whoever is dishonest with very little will also be honest, dishonest with much. You have to be diligent in the small things in order to see the great things. Every small thing is a step towards the big changes that matter. Some of us in here, we're just like waiting on God to call us to the bigger thing, but you're not faithful in the little thing. You've got to be faithful in those little things. It's those little things that make all the difference, right? Because some of us are looking at our life and our vision for where God's called us, and right now we're looking at it, and this thing is just way too big. But let me just tell you something. How do you eat an elephant? One bite at a time. It's the small things that matter. It's the way that it happens. And so some of us are giving up right now on what God's called us to in our life because we're giving up on the small things. Micro small changes will make the biggest difference in your life. So there's nothing too small here. There's not a job here too small. There's not a thing to do here that is too small. I came here earlier today trying to finish prep for my message, being with my family, but we wanted to get the trailer unpacked. So I showed up today and I unpacked the trailer by myself today. But you're the pastor. Don't you have a word to preach? Don't you have a sermon to give? Don't you have more important things to do? There's no small things here. Because I don't know what that did for the team when they got here at 3.30 to see, oh man, the trailer's unpacked. There's no small things. The small thing that you're like, called to do right now may be the biggest impactor in your life in the future. But finally with this, these last two things, we want to be a wildly generous and sacrificial church. We want to be wildly generous and sacrificial in everything that we do. 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 7, each of you should give what you have decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. See, for so many of us, we're not just talking about giving money. We're talking about your life, your talent, your time. We want to be a wildly generous and sacrificial church. 100%. Church, there's, there's people around us and amongst us that are hurting. There's families that are hurting. There's people that are going through incredible things right now. And we want to be a wildly generous church. We believe in wanting to go and, and to get, you know, to move and to, to be able to do things and to, to do all of this. We could have nicer stuff if we just weren't as generous. But church, like in the last three months, we've given away over $8,000 in benevolence as a church. That's wildly generous. Wildly. There's churches with million-dollar budgets that aren't giving a portion of what we just gave. And I'm not saying that braggadociously. What I'm saying is, is that's who we are as a people. So if you're in need, we're going to help. We're going to do all that we can. I mean, there was a Saturday where we had a group of people who were helping a family in our church move their house while they had to be back here at 3.30 to move us into this building. That's wildly generous. That's wildly generous. 
And this is what we all say, like the 10% giving, the tithe. That's where the word tithe comes from. The Bible calls us to something far greater. Generosity. Not just a number, but to give with generosity above and beyond more than we could ever do or imagine. That sacrifice is part of this thing. And don't just think that this is financial. And don't just think it's about a percentage. Some of us can give way more than 10%. Way more than it. Wouldn't even touch us. Wouldn't even worry us. Wouldn't even affect us. But oh, 10%. No, the Bible's called us to be much more than a 10% people. It's called us to be a generous people in everything that we do. What if I just came up here and gave you 10% of my effort? It's like, ah, we're done. I gotta go. I had a, I had a sermon, but I'm gonna stop now. It's just, whatever, I'm good. I got up here, okay? 10%. We're going to be generous. And then finally, this is who we're going to be. We're going to fight to love God and others more than ourselves. We will not be perfect in this. We will fail in this, I promise you. But we are going to fight for it. We are going to do everything that we can as a church to fight for this, that we would be a people who are more about loving God and loving others. Matthew 22, verse 36 to 40, as the band comes up and we get ready to end, this is what Jesus says. You want the Cliff Notes version of the Bible? This is it, right? Like you always use Cliff Notes or anything like that. Like this is the shortest way to talk about it. Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? The Pharisees asked him. Jesus replied, love, your na- love your, the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, with all of your mind. It's called the Shema. This is the first and greatest commandment. But God says, when you love what I love, When you love me, you'll love what I love. And listen to what it says in verse 39. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and all the prophets hang on these two commandments. What he says is the entire Bible of the time, the Old Testament, everything hangs on those two things. And so we are going to fight to love God and love others more than ourselves. But right now, In order to be able to love God and others more than ourselves, we have to be fundamentally changed. See, as we begin to to wind the night down, there is always a time to respond. And see, I'm going to ask you for one second to be selfish. I'm going to ask you for just one moment that before you can love God and others more than yourself, you need to love yourself enough right now to say yes to God. That out of what God has done for you in your life, that he lived and he died and he rose again on your behalf, would you just love yourself enough to say yes to him? To say yes to God and what he has done for you. And then out of that, that heart which can't be made new until the Holy Spirit enters in and changes us, then when we have the Holy Spirit and we have the Word of God living and breathing in us, there is something so miraculous that can happen because all of a sudden that sinful heart which would only choose ourselves can be turned from stone to flesh and we can begin to love God and others more than ourselves. And all of these things that we want to be hinge on this one thing to love God and love others more than ourselves. But you've got to choose right now who you want to be. It's the small things that you do now will determine who you will be. If you want to be part of a church that's like this, 
you got to choose right now to say yes to this church. you got to choose to say yes to being part of this. But before you can be part of this church, you've got to say yes to God and what he did for you. And so as we get ready to sing out of our response to who God is, just believe for a second that God is wildly generous and sacrificial because he sent his son into the world to live the life we should have lived, to die the death we should have died. And he sacrificed his own son so that whosoever would call upon the name of the Lord Jesus Christ would be saved. We have a wildly generous and sacrificial God who loves us incredibly. This is the church we want to be. This is who we want to be. And we want to invite you to be part of it. And so whether you need to believe for the first time or you need to dive right in, whatever it is, I pray that you'll respond the way that God leads. I love you. I thank you for being with me tonight. Let us pray. Father, we love you.